Some years ago, I was in Florida to, as a tourist from Canada, and I wanted to go scuba diving. So I went to the local dive shop and I asked, are you taking out any divers this week? They said, yes, we are on such and such a day. Why don't you join us? We'll be checking out two women who have just had a scuba course with us and they'll have their open water checkout. But all of you who already know how to dive are welcome to come with us. You can dive. So we all showed up and uh, we're looking forward to diving. And the, the sea that day was rolling. It had quite a, a swell to it. And uh, we got on the boat and the boat was being tossed around by the waves and the, the young women who were going to be certified, tested at least, were getting more and more nervous and hyper and concerned. And we got to the dive site. They let the anchors down, and they, the dive master put us all in the water together with our vests inflated, and we were floating around like corks in a tempest in a teapot. And uh, he pointed to me, and he said, you, you are her buddy. And he pointed to a woman I had met on the ride out to the dive site. She was a lady from Minnesota. And Okay, so I swam up to her. I said, you hear that we're buddies? Yes, yes, I heard that. And then he's pairing off everyone else. We're still on the surface. And then it got to be a little chaotic, a little disorganized, a little mumbo-jumbo. So the, the dive master, still on the boat, points to me and he said, you, yes, sir, you're no longer her buddy. You dive with him instead. He was a staff member of the dive shop. So I swam over to the woman from Minnesota and I said, did you hear that? I'm no longer your buddy. I'm now his buddy. Wait for a buddy. So I went, and I had a nice dive with the staff guy from the shop, and we were down there, I don't know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and we both were nearly out of air, so we signaled to go up top. Imagine my surprise when all the other divers were already on the boat looking at us. And the dive master said, where's the lady from Minnesota? I said, I have no idea. I wasn't her buddy. We haven't seen her since you went under. So then, he says to me and my buddy, strap on some new tanks and go find her. I thought, it's a big ocean. But I wanted to rescue her. I didn't want her to die, so I strap on these tanks. And before I jump in, the boat is pitching in the swell, of course, and about 2,000 yards off the back of the boat, here she is with her buoyancy compensator floating, and she's just popping up and down in the waves, and she's hollering, help, help. Well, I'm telling you what. What she needed when she was underwater and out of air was not a high school diploma, she didn't need a well-paying job in Minneapolis. She didn't need a husband. She needed some dude with an air tank underwater close enough to her to share air. She needed incarnation. She needed a person who knew how to scuba dive, who had a tank with some air in it to share with her since she was out. She needed incarnation, and she needed it fast. The end of the story is that the dive master hauled her out onto the boat with some force, asked her where her purse was, and did she have her dive license card with her? And she said yes, and he took that laminated dive license card, and he ripped it in two, and he threw it in the ocean. He was some upset. I was glad she was fine, of course. The human race is a lot like that lady from Minnesota. We are in desperate need of incarnation. In, um, 
incarnation, but not incarnation of a mere scuba diver with some air in a tank. We are in massive need of incarnation of a Savior who could live perfect and die for us and shed his blood to make forgiveness of our sins possible and a place in heaven as a grace gift possible. That's what we need. It took a God-man to do that. We're going to look at some verses, some quick verses in the New Testament that talk about incarnation in the moments we have this morning. So if you have your Bibles, or you look on the screen, I believe, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 are Christmas incarnation verses. Hebrews 2, 14, since then, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Messiah, likewise also partook of the same, that is flesh and blood, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. It took an incarnate God. It took an eternal God become incarnate to take on human flesh to break our fear of death and bondage to the devil. That's what these verses are saying. You know, God could not die until Jesus took on human flesh. God is spirit. God the Son had to become man so that he, God the Son, could die for us. Furthermore, before the incarnation, God could not shed blood because God had no blood before the incarnation. Before God was fused to man, God did not have blood to offer. But when the incarnation miracle took place and the co-eternal, without beginning and without end, Son of God took on human flesh in the miracle of the virgin birth, then God had blood that he could willingly spill to pay for sin, because it says in the Word in the Old and the New Testaments, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 expand upon this truth when it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but, watch it, with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We were all once in the slave marketplace of sin. When our flesh said sin, we basically said okay. When our flesh said jump, we just simply had the question, how high? We were in the slave marketplace of sin, in bondage to sin and death. Until Jesus burst into time and space history in the miracle of the virgin birth, the eternal God, very God, continuing to be very God, but becoming fused to man, humanity. Because Jesus was willing to come and the Father was willing to send him and he became flesh and dwelt among us, we were able to get out of that bondage and slavery in the slave marketplace of sin. And Jesus laid down the purchase price to purchase you out of the slave marketplace of sin. His own life's blood. Silver wouldn't do it. Gold wouldn't do it. But the precious blood, precious blood of a spotless, unblemished, sinless lamb 
His name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your Savior? You could know the season of his birth without knowing him as your Savior. And so the first verses I want to take us to are these in Hebrews 2. Say that God could only die and God could only shed blood because of the incarnation. The second passage is another beautiful passage. It's in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Listen. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Will you notice that we are called as Jesus followers to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ welcomed and embraced, that is humility. And what was the scale of Jesus Christ's humility? It was vast. Although he existed in the form of God, verse 6, he did not hang on to equality with God as a thing to be grasped for his own benefit and protection, but instead he emptied himself voluntarily, taking on the form of a bondservant. When Jesus Christ became incarnate the first Christmas, he let go of the use of some of his divine rights. He let go of the use of some of his divine privileges. He let go of the use of some of his divine powers for a purpose. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Those who spit in his face humbled him. Those who rejected him and called him blasphemous humbled him. Those who wanted to stone him to death humbled him. But basically and fundamentally, he humbled himself. That's the incarnation. And found an appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death. But Jesus Christ's obedience was not just signing up, yes, I'll die, Father, somehow on earth. He signed up for the Father's will that he would die the most reprehensible, shameful, humiliating, and torturous death possible at that time, crucifixion. Cursed is everyone who is lifted up on a tree. The incarnation was a self-emptying of the very God, the Son of God, the very God becoming the very God-man. Through cooperation with God the Father's plan, through self-humiliation, the giving up of some of the use of his divine attributes, that's why he didn't know the timing of his second coming. He gave up the use of that part of his omniscience. Well, on earth, he retained it all the time as God, but he gave up the use of it. Could have vaporized the guys that nailed him to the cross by the word of his mouth. He's going to do that in Revelation 19 when his opponents come after him at Armageddon. He's going to vaporize them by the word of his mouth. He could have done that at the cross, but he gave up the use of that, right? John 1 verse 14. John 1 Verse 14 is 
another window into the incarnation. And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. The word is the inscripturated truth of God is found in the Old and the New Testaments, inspired by the Holy Spirit, infallible, dependable, inerrant in the original autographs. So the word is the scriptures, and they center in the word of God, the Son of God, both the Old and the New Testament scriptures, the word, centers in the person and the work of the word, Jesus Christ. And at Christmas, the word, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, at Christmas, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek here that is translated and dwelt among us literally means and pitched his tent. Think of it. The Son of God, without a beginning, without an ending, perfectly uh, in harmony with the Godhead for eternity, steps across the stars, the galaxies, the planetary bodies that he created by the word of his mouth, and he pitched a tent, his body, he pitched a tent in our campsite. He drank our campsite water. He witnessed our campsite inhumanities to each other. He experienced campfire hungriness. Jesus Christ pitched his tent in our campsite so he could die for us. So he could be raised after death for us. So we could understand None of us could ever say to Jesus in prayer, oh, you don't understand. Jesus, I tell you about my marriage, but you don't understand. I tell you about my sickness, Jesus, but I don't think you'd understand. I talk to you about my money problems, Jesus, but I don't think you'd understand. I mean, Jesus pitched his tent in our campsite, and look what happened, among other things, when he did so, when he condescended, when he came to our campsite and pitched a tent that was subject to death. Look what happened. We beheld his glory. We could see that's what God is like. That's how God talks. That's how God thinks. That's what God values. That's what God rejects. That's what God warns about. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of John, Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've grieved me, you've grieved the Father. You've pleased me, you've pleased the Father. You serve me, you serve the Father. He pitched his tent in our campsite so that we could see his glory and not be consumed by it, vaporized by the glory of God. took on human flesh while retaining his divine essence. And he came to love us, to teach us, to heal us, to warn us, to die for us, to rise from the dead for us. Teach us how to pray. You know, though, in a country like our great country, Jesus Christ is so widely known from the littlest little Bahamian to the most elderly Bahamians. 
I would venture to say we'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who doesn't know something about Jesus in our country, and that's good. But here's the danger. Here's the danger. January 1st, somewhere around there, those of us who put up an artificial Christmas tree, we'll tear it apart and we'll put it in a box. Those of us who put up Christmas lights around January 1st or thereafter, we'll take all those Christmas lights down and we'll put them in a box and we'll just store them. There's the lights. There's the Christmas tree. There are the decorations. Good. Christmas. Some people do that with Jesus in Bahamaland. Okay, I'll go with you to church. Dear. Christmas. Yeah, okay, I'll go to the New Year's Eve service. I'm a little superstitious if I'm not in church when the years turn over. It could not be a good year for me. There you go, Jesus. Don't get, we won't get fanatical about you, Jesus. We'll just put you here with the Christmas tree. Jesus won't stand for that. He's Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. And one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only question is, will you bow to him as Lord as your judge, or will you bow to him as Lord as your Savior? God help us to, God help us if we have an attitude or we have loved ones who have an attitude that, let's just put Christmas away, including Jesus. Chuck Swindoll has it. While Rome was busy making history, God arrived. He pitched his fleshly tent on straw in a stable under a star, and the world didn't even notice. Reeling. From the wake of Alexander the Great and Herod the Great, the world overlooked Mary's little lamb. And it's easy to do today, to overlook Mary's little lamb. In the time remaining, I want to just identify five wonderful blessings of the Incarnation quickly. The first blessing I'd like to identify is that the incarnation ushered in divine love so that we could understand it. That is not to say that divine love was not outpoured on Israel in the Old Testament, even on some of Israel's repentant nations that came to faith in Israel's God. Divine love is through Genesis to Exodus in the whole Bible. But what I am saying is that when Christ became flesh at the incarnation, we got a better understanding of divine love. A divine love that came to us, a divine love that taught us, a divine love that healed us, a divine love that warned us, a divine love that obeyed the law for us, a divine love that died on the cross for us, a divine love was shown to rebels like me, who the default position of our hearts before knowing God was a default position of no, make me, make me. Divine love burst into our campsite. May we never be the same because it has. The second blessing of the incarnation that I like to show you at least, the second blessing of the incarnation is that it ushered in the Old Testament prophecy's fulfillment about Messiah. There are a lot of prophetic 
truth in the Old Testament about Messiah, his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and so forth. Dr. Charles Ryrie points out the following. Now, you that like mathematics are going to like this. By the law of chance or randomness, it would require 200 billion, with a B, Earths, populated with 4 billion persons each Earth, to come up with one person who could achieve only 100 accurate prophecies without any errors in their sequence. By chance, left to random happening, it would take 200 billion planet Earths, each one populated with 4 billion persons, to come up with only one person who could achieve 100% accuracy of 100 prophecies about Jesus without any error in the sequence of the happening. Do you know what? There aren't just 100 prophecies about Jesus Christ. There are over 300. And the virgin birth, the incarnation, is an important piece of that prophetic pie that finds full, accurate fulfillment showing the veracity of the Bible and showing the authenticity of the God-man Jesus Christ as Messiah. But there's more. The third blessing of the incarnation today is revealed in our willingness, God's willingness, rather, to walk in a sin-tainted world. To walk in a sin-tainted world. I like baseball. Some of you who like baseball know the name Joe Torre. Joe Torre was a very good back catcher for the New York Yankees. After that, he became a very successful manager of Major League Baseball teams. And then he went from uh, the management dugout to the broadcaster's booth. So Torrey was a player, a back catcher. He was a manager, field manager, and he was a broadcaster, a broadcaster of Major League Baseball. Someone said to Joe Torrey, well-meaning person, said, don't you think, Joe, that the future of Major League Baseball is that the managers will manage from the broadcast booth so they can see the whole field? Tori said, oh, no. No. When I was catching, I wanted to walk out to the mound, and I wanted to touch the pitcher. And I wanted to look into his eyes. And I wanted to hear what he was saying. I had to know how he was doing. Jesus Christ is not content to run redemption spiritual life of believers in him from a broadcast booth. He came to touch our world, to hear our voices, to look into our eyes, to know us, to love us, to provide hope for us. What a Savior. He became hungry. He was hot or he was cold. He was weary. He had to learn carpentry. He had half-siblings. He was tempted but did not sin. 
is homeless. By the way, these ministers you hear on television and radio that say every Christian should be wealthy and wise, do they realize in the New Testament Jesus was homeless? The only home he had was Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home, and he only visited that infrequently. He was homeless in his public ministry. human and he could be offended. He could be misunderstood and he was. He could be slandered. He could be hated. He could be rejected and he could even be murdered. What a love. What a willingness for God himself to walk with us in our sin-tainted world. But there's a fourth blessing of the incarnation, I think. The incarnation marries opposites without contradiction. The um, Incarnation marries things in our minds that are true, but they're opposites, and they don't seem to mix. But the incarnation brought those kinds of things together without any contradiction. Jesus Christ's deity fused with his humanity compromised neither. What kind of things am I talking about of the marriage of opposites that we see without contradiction in the incarnation? Let me share you a little piece of poetry from the church father, Augustine. Augustine, on the mystery of the incarnation, wrote this. Maker of the Son, he is made under the Son. In the Father he remains, from his mother he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, yet he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. Oh yes, the incarnation marries things that we might think are opposites without contradiction. The cross, made possible by the incarnation, the cross married two things that we would think are contradictory. There at the cross, when Jesus Christ was nailed to bleed and to die, there at the cross, the wrath of God kissed the mercy of God. For us. The greatest demonstration of God's righteous, holy anger against sin was poured out on Jesus, our substitute on the cross. But in the same while, the mercy that flew out from that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross continues to every believer since. Every believer in Jesus. Are you a believer in Jesus? And so... The fifth blessing, at least for this morning, the fifth blessing of the incarnation is that it paved a way both for bodily death and for bodily resurrection. I mean, think of it. It makes sense, does it not, that the incarnation made possible the crucifixion. The crucifixion made possible the resurrection. The resurrection made possible the ascension. If you break that chain at the beginning where God became flesh, the incarnation, there could be no crucifixion. And without a crucifixion, there could be no resurrection. And without a resurrection, there could be no ascension. And without all of it, there could not be a salvation. 
This message started with a story of a scuba diver woman. And I'm going to end with another example, true example, of a seal hunter. But before I take you to my seal hunter closing story, I just want us to be clear that it took the incarnation for God to be able to die and for God to be able to rise from the dead. It also took an incarnation. This is saying that God the Son's death for sin and God the Son's resurrection from the dead was essential payment for your sin debt to God. Christ's death was essential payment for your sin. Christ's resurrection was proof of the essential acceptability of Christ's payment for your sin. Romans 4, verse 25, puts this together. He, Christ, who was delivered up, that is to crucifixion, because of our transgressions, and was raised, bodily resurrection, because of our justification. Let me put it this way. If we did not have transgressions, Jesus Christ would not have been delivered up to the cross. But we had transgressions, plenty of them, so he was delivered up to the cross. But if we were not justified when we believe in Jesus, God the Father never would have raised him from the dead. But the good news is that we have transgressions, they delivered Jesus up to the cross in our stead, in our place, as our substitute. And the payment that Jesus made with his shed blood, when he said the last words he was recorded to say from the cross, and before he gave up his spirit in physical death, it is finished. He meant it. Nothing can be added to what he did on the cross. Nothing needs to be added to what he did on the cross. And so the incarnation made possible the crucifixion, which paid for sin, made possible the resurrection, which proves that the payment for sin was satisfactory. Have you run to Christ for that payment? If someone's willing to retire a massive debt on your credit card, you say, I'll, whatever you owe, I'll pay. If you don't go to them and ask them to pay and give the numbers for them to do it online or however they would do it, you don't get the benefit. Some people know all about Jesus' cross. They could tell you things that maybe you don't even know, but they've never let that cross work be applied to their account. The gifts of salvation are received by the hand of faith in Christ. His finished work. Have you ever transferred your faith and trust to Christ alone? For those gifts. Well, we started with the scuba diver lady who was desperate in need of incarnation for air in a scuba tank. There was a very fascinating sister in Christ that Beth and I knew in the second church. I pastored in Canada, and she left where we were living, and she went to the Arctic Circle, the Canadian Arctic Circle near Baffin Island, and she would give us periodic emails about her adventures in Clyde River, Northwest Territories, now Nunavut, uh, in the Arctic Circle. She told of a... Of a a seal hunter who was out on an ice floe seal hunting, and he was in his tent sleeping at night, and a polar bear attacked him and bit him by the head and ripped the top of his skull off. But before the polar bear could eat him, the hunter who was sleeping in the tent beside the other hunter had a gun, and he knew how to use it. He killed the bear. The man lived. 
woman in the water needed the incarnation of air. The seal hunter on the ice floe needed the incarnation of a person with a bullet. We sinners need the incarnation of a sin, a Savior's sin payment. Don't forget it. Spread the word. This Christmas, spread the word. Lord Jesus, we will not have enough time in eternity to praise and thank you for coming to earth as the baby and for dying as the grown man. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May all that we do, all that we say, all that we think reflect our allegiance to you and our love for you, knowing that we only can love you because you have first loved us. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus the first Christmas. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to be sent. And we pray this for God's glory. Amen.